Greetings and welcome to the Pure Report. I'm your host, Rob Ludeman. It is time to bring the orange yet again with our special guest and an exciting topic today, Pure Fusion. We welcome Anthony Ferrario to the program. Anthony, how's it going? I don't know if you know this, but going way back when I started, you were one of the first two people that I met on Pure on, uh, what was it, Floor 3 on, on 599. Yeah. Yeah. They wandered me around. I was kind of shy and didn't know anybody. And I think you're one of the one of the first or second people I shook hands with and met all you guys that were doing all that great technical marketing work. So, hey, welcome. How's it going in your world right now? Oh, well, thank you. I, you know, I didn't realize I was number two or three on your on your intro list, but I was glad. I, I'm glad I could have been there for you. Um, Things are crazy in the best possible way right now. Uh, I think I, I think I posted a tweet which said something like, "I've never been more excited about what we're doing inside uh, the Orange Factory." So that that pretty much describes my mental state at this point. Yeah, it's really an exciting time, right? And and you know this will come out after the the big launch announcement on on the twenty eighth, and it's designed for people to listen to, you know, get a little bit of a deeper dive from you. And you're you know one of the technical experts that's uh, working on this project along with uh, with Larry Touche. And um, you know, as you were talking before the pod, a great marriage of kind of storage centric brain and uh, you know developer API side, you know apps containers kind of brain. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm really looking forward to the conversation. But you're 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 kind of a long timer here. Long how long have you been at Pure? And I know they've bounced you around a bunch of different things. What all have you done in uh, in the how many years? Five years? Six years? I five ish. Five right? Five ish. Yeah, we're coming up on five years now. And yeah, I uh, <clears throat> I I you could say I have a, a bit of a career uh, variance uh, that's happened, uh, but it's been a lot of fun. So when I first came into Pure, I came in uh, as a product manager uh, for the ecosystem. So I owned uh, VMware integrations, Microsoft integrations, uh, and open source integrations at the time. That was sort of the, the subdivision that we broke it down to. Um, from there, you know, I, I, uh, I worked on a few, you know, I should say many different uh, things, but a, a few of the things that really stand out that I worked on were uh, Pure's VVOLS implementation, which I know Cody Hosterman has done a fantastic job of sort of getting out into the industry. <clears throat> so I was his uh, sort of technical partner on the, uh, on the product management side for that. Uh, and I helped bring uh, Pure Service Orchestrator, our original container orchestration and Kubernetes product to market. Um, that came out of the open source category that I, right. that I referred to initially. Um, and then also I, uh, I got a little bit more into uh, core FA um, product management. I worked on some core object scale programs. I worked on uh, quality of service features. So I, I had a bit of a, a, a romp throughout uh, FA as well. Uh, and then a couple of years ago, I decided uh, looking at sort of career future, what I want to do. I really love being a tech geek, you know, and what I saw from people I respected sort of further down their career path than me was that a lot of them, almost all of them had engineering hands-on experience. And and I was a, you know, hobbyist uh, self-taught programmer. Uh, But what I decided to do was re-interview uh, as a software engineer inside of Pure. Uh, and I, I took the technical interviews and, and, and managed to pass that and took a stint as a software engineer for not quite two years uh, leading up till now. Uh, and I worked on our cloud block store product as an engineer. So I built, uh, or I, I was part of the team that built uh, some of the features in there, including uh, suspend and resume for the AWS cloud block store product. So got some real hands-on technical experience there. Uh, and then having, you know, having gone and done that, you know, 
basically I wanted to take that experience that I gained there and come back to the product side. So when I, when I started asking around, uh, what I found was exactly what you described before that Harbor master now called pure fusion, um, <clears throat> which was gearing up to, to, to get announced had a fantastic, you know, storage administration, technical product manager in Larry Touche, who I had worked with before on the scale program, but they didn't have someone to represent the developer and the API side and the, the sort of integration side, a bunch of work that I had done before. So I jumped at the chance to do that. And now I'm, uh, I'm, you know, neck deep or eyeball deep or however you want to describe it, trying to make sure, you know, pure fusion comes out and, and brings a great product to market. Yeah. And it's really exciting time. You know, I plan to kind of ask you what, what, what's the most exciting thing that's happened to you or the biggest interesting change at pure, but it sounds like, it sounds like it's fusion, but it also sounds like all the steps that you've made in your career leading up to that really were serendipitous leading you to this point because the combination of you and Larry really, you know, really represent well what this offering um, is, is going to be. So you're, it knows you were a hobbyist before. So did you really not cut your teeth professionally until you started doing the, the software engineering work? It was just something you kind of dabbled in on your own time and messed with. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, Kubernetes stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, my my degree was in uh, history and economics, uh, and I was just, you know, I was just a self-taught, you know, weekender in terms of uh, I love. I, I mean, I'm just a geek, right? So I, I loved, you know, stand. I have a I have a rack in my garage where I have old, you know, enterprise gear, and I've stood up a bunch of private clouds and you know built a lot of little side projects and stuff. But I had never I had never operated in a professional development environment, so that was that was the change there. Yeah. No, that's super cool. It is really interesting. I, I love everybody's journey. So I'm really, I'm really pleased that you were able to share a little bit of that and give the background to, to the listeners there. I mean, personally, personally, I was a poli sci major, right. In in my undergrad studies, right. And you just kind of find your way to, to the tech, although I grew up here. So I was all in and around it. You know, my dad was, yeah. you know, did marketing for a very large company in and around storage. So, you know, it's like <laughs> fall from the tree, but you know, I initially thought I was going to work for CIA or be a lawyer. And then, yeah, this tech thing is kind of fun and we'll, we'll go off and do it. So um, it's it's good that uh, they're able to bring some of us that are more liberal artsy into the <laughs> You know, it's it's funny that you say that though, actually, because I'm also a second gen tech local uh, oh, to the area. Yeah, so my dad was a long time, uh, he's retired now, but he was a long time uh, engineering manager at Sun Microsystems, um, Juniper Networks and VMware over the years. So I, I grew up with uh, I grew up with tech in the house and and I was the the history nerd. And, and like you, I found my way back. <laughs> I'll have to go uh, go back through my memory banks because I was at Sun for a good ten years, and I'll have to try to remember. I think I've got you by a few years, you know, um, you know, fifteen or twenty years or so. But um, you know, I'll have to see if he uh, if he's somebody that I can remember from my time at Sun. All right. Well, you don't know this as you're listening, but but uh, where Anthony was he had a power outage. So, you know, one of those things that happens in these remote times. So we've got him over to another room. We've edited this uh, out together. We kept that first part. So in case it sounds a little bit different, that is what goes on. I think we were just back to where I was talking about how I spent time at Sun and may have known your dad, but uh, we can move on from, from the history lessons about who did what where, and we can jump right into 
um, let's just jump right into Pure Fusion, right? At this point, by the time we'll announce this, uh, we'll announce Pure Fusion uh, when we release this episode. Um, you've alluded to it a little bit, right? And talking about what you and Larry do, but what's what's the whole idea? And I think this is kind of where, and I use this analogy sometimes, this is where the chocolate and the peanut butter come together because there's sort of a hardware-centric component and you know more of a software and API and apps component. But what what's the high level just to get people kind of familiarized before we dive in? Sure. Um, and, and forgive the, the sort of tagline sounding nature of this, but uh, we can get into the details in a second. But Pure Fusion is attempting to provide storage as code uh, in a cloud native model at limitless scale. So that's sort of the, the, the tagline version of it. The way, the way I like to think about it is there's, uh, there's a lot of things that we're learning as an IT industry from the public cloud. Uh, and there's a lot of things good and a lot of things bad about that. Um, what we're doing at Pure is we're trying to take the lessons, uh, the good lessons that have come from that. We're trying to adopt that and we're trying to avoid some of the downsides that have come along with that. So that, that sort of brings it back to you know, what you indicated about chocolate and peanut butter. The way I like to think about Pure Fusion and, and serving that storage as code is that there's really two, two uh, demographics, two uh, end users of a storage as code product. So one is the uh, app user, the developer, the end consumer, the person who's using, used to going into you know, a public cloud console and provisioning uh, infrastructure. That person has come to know and love some of the features about that and some of the behaviors. And really what they've come to love is they've come to love the ability to get what they want quickly, you know, efficiently. Um, and as a service without having to, you know, do a bunch of interaction manual back and forth, all this kind of stuff. Right. So they, they like that experience. Yeah. Um, but they don't necessarily always love, you know, some of the cost and feature trade-offs that may have to come with it, but really they love that experience on the other side. You know, we know that there are it administrators, storage engineers, that kind of folk who have to manage these big data centers. Right. And if, if they want to, you know, do this at scale, really, they start to run into uh, cloud scale specifically. Right. They start to run into, you know, headaches with manual management. Right. They don't you know, if you've got 100 arrays or 500 arrays, you know, you're man managing petabytes upon petabytes upon petabytes of storage. You know, you start to have a lot of difficulty doing that at scale manually. So what we're doing here is we're trying to solve both pieces of that together in a way that will satisfy you know, both sides of the equation. So what we're doing is Pure Fusion provides a cloud native API for storage consumption. This means that you know, the end user is asking for things by policy, right? You know, if you're familiar with Kubernetes, we use some similar terms like storage classes. You know, of course, we, we, have, uh, we have our own semantics for all of this, and we talk about protection policies and you know, all of this kind of stuff. But essentially, what you're doing as an end user is you're just asking for what you need. Right, I need uh, you know 100 gigs of storage, and I need you know X amount of IOPS and Y amount of bandwidth, and I need it to be protected in a certain way. I get to ask for those things, and it just is provided to me. There's no you know you know I don't need to know about a storage array. I don't need to know about a box. None of that is important to me. I just need the storage objects. Yeah, and you're not picking up a phone and calling somebody and waiting. I mean, it kind of reminds me when when I was, you know, again back at Oracle or at Sun when we were working on setting up databases as service types of things. And the main thing we were trying to solve for were all those manual interventions, right? I mean, exactly. you had a bunch of database administrators and and they're going, Well, I just need to spin up some databases to do some testing or to serve this new project that's coming. And I've got to ask for it 
make a request, sit and wait, wait a week, wait a day, whatever it is. And in this case, now, can you set up the policies ahead of time? Is that customizable where you can go in and set up the classes, um, the, the, you know, the, the, the densities, the, the performance levels, as well as the data protection? I mean, it's very extensive, it sounds like. I mean, we're covering yeah, all absolutely. the different aspects. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, like just to, just to riff on what you said about your previous experience, we actually have a customer that we like to talk about internally. Um, who, when we described this to them, they mentioned, and this was a senior leader on the uh, storage side at this customer, um, they described a process where a relatively normal stored provisioning request came in from, from an application owner, you know, something completely within, you know, the bounds of expectation. And it took their team six weeks to get an answer back to this, uh, to this consumer. And the answer was no. Right. After six weeks. After six weeks. And, and, you know, while that may be an exceptional case, what we're seeing is exactly what you're saying. Like the ability to have this be automated, available as a service through an API is really the experience that everybody wants, right? So that, that absolutely aligns with what we're saying. Now, how do you get to the point where you're offering that service? That brings us to the other side of the puzzle, right? Right, right. The, other piece, the, the, the chocolate to the peanut butter, as it were, right? And, and this is where what, we, what um, Fusion also provides is an automated um, management system for storage, a new management paradigm, if you will. Um, so you asked about uh, configurability and absolutely we have configurability available for you know, storage classes, protection policies and the like, but really the core of what we're doing is we're, re, you know, we're rethinking the way um, you know, storage is deployed and then managed. So we were introducing a concept called an availability zone. Now this mirrors uh, very closely the way cloud natives think about this. Sure. What an availability zone is, is it's trying to, it's trying to give a sense for, you know, where is, uh, is storage co-located and where, you know, where can I think about as a failure domain or a, or a residency domain for storage without having to talk about arrays. And then within those availability zones, what our administrators will do is they will provision any number of arrays that they have, any family, any generation, all of that is fine within a single domain. And we can then treat all of those arrays together as a pool of storage that can service different capabilities. So you could have flash array Xs, you could have Xs with direct memory, you could have flash array C, you can even set up availability zones that are based on cloud block store instances, right? So that's the beauty of Pure's product line, right? But what we can do is we can set up these availability zones and then the storage administrators can define the policies that they want to offer their end users. It's up to them what services are offered. And the whole point of the Fusion framework is to let them define that ahead of time, as you said, and then present that to, the, to their customers. What the customers then do is they come and consume that in an automated fashion. So that's a really great picture. That allows us to you know, set up the premise. But there's a couple of difficulties that I want to call out that I think we've got great answers for. One of those is, okay, well, so there's 20, 30, 50, 100 arrays in an availability zone at scale, right? At a cloud scale environment. Could be even more than that, right? How do you choose which workload the storage is going to go on? And this is where we rely on Pure One Meta. Um, and what we've actually been able to do is integrate the workload planner capability in Pure One Meta into Fusion. So Fusion can look at all of the workloads deployed, all of the arrays available, filter down by the policy requirements, and then make an AI-supported choice as to where to deploy that workload. So a storage engineer never has to put their hands in the process. So you're optimizing, and I, you know, I was going to kind of go into that. I mean, workloads are not static, right? I mean, they they definitely go up and down. They peak. They 
aren't used at all, right? I mean, there, there's there's comings and goings. And again, that's a whole nother manual intervention process that you normally have to contend with or get into. Yes, workload planner, when somebody is actually using it, can look at the different options. But what you're describing now is once it knows the different policies, then it can take the entire fleet and then go place it where it optimally needs to be. That's right. And that's day one, right? Yeah. Day zero is defining those policies and setting everything up. Day one is placing that workload. But there's also a really cool thing I want to call out on day two or day end of operation, right? So what you sort of hinted at is that workloads come and go and grow yeah. and shrink, yeah. right? And, and what that can lead to is even after you made an optimal placement decision, um, you know, sometime later, you can run into a situation where an array may be getting overheated, right? Or there's there's some other allocation problem. Somebody needs to change the policy on their storage to, to get more performance or, or what have you. Then you come into a question of asking, okay, well, how do I keep the fleet balanced? How do I make sure things are continuing to be healthy after day one? And this is, this is a serious uh, piece of technology that I'm really proud of in the way Fusion is addressing. So what we're actually able to do is we're able to detect that this is happening, uh, and then we're able to support a completely seamless rebalance operation. So the end user never, never needs to know that this is happening. Um, even in terms of their connections to, store, to the storage, all of that is maintained. And behind the scenes, we're able to leverage active cluster technology to move a workload from a, from an inappropriate location to a more appropriate location. So this sort of helps us create a, a full lifecycle story of you know not only just workload placement uh, done intelligently, but also fleet rebalance and workload migration done intelligently and completely invisibly to the end user. So we're still able to provide that cloud native storage as code consumption experience for the end user while helping the backend folks uh, keep their fleets healthy. Yeah, I think there's, you know, there's, it's not overt, but what's really interesting in what you keep describing is that Fusion is almost a marriage of some of the best things we do at Pure, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you've talked about Active Cluster and we've talked about Workload Planner and certainly with, with Pure One, I assume across this whole fleet thing that you can still, well, and you mentioned the health check, but you can look at capacity and mm -hmm. future workload planning and things like that as you want to, but we've taken like the best things that we do, right? And there's still the whole evergreen thing. I mean, we even talk about that, but that's another part of it and really married them all together into a more holistic offering, right? Yeah. That, that really, uh, it, it sounds like it eliminates the divide between you know developers and, and application owners and storage, or it helps them take it for granted, right? And they yeah. no longer have to worry about, I mean, not that they worry about storage all that much, but they know what happens if they can't get what they need when they want to get it, or they wait six weeks and the answer is no. Yeah. You know, well, we, I mean, this is, this is what you're saying, right? But we don't want them to worry about storage, right? We just want them to ask for it and get it, right? And, and you know, Absolutely, you're right. Like at Pure, we have a bunch of fantastic technology, but that's why Flash Array and, and, and our entire product line has been successful to this point. We've got great technology, great features, but this is really unifying all of that into a new management paradigm uh, that we want to drive going forward. How do we address scale? Right. I mean, is it usually we address scale with the expansion of more arrays or, you know, if we're in a peer as a service type of scenario, then it's just adding more capacity or maybe you're update, upgrading modules to get more capacity. When we talk about infinite scale out, right, which was part of one of the messages at the launch, what, you know, I know what that means kind of in historical terms or classic terms. What, what are we really messaging here on the scale out piece? Yeah. 
it's a good question. And, and I think there's, there's multiple answers to that. Like let's address the business side first okay. um, on the business side. Um, using pure fusion is, you know, totally compatible with both traditional CapEx purchasing of individual arrays, capacity expansion, so on and so on. It's also compatible with our pure as a service billing model. I might even say it's spiritually more aligned with that, yeah. but um, it's, it's absolutely set up to support both. Um, and then from a technology perspective, the way expansion works is as a new array comes online or as new capacity comes online, um, that can be absorbed seamlessly into existing AZs or deployed as a new AZ, right? So, so let's, take, uh, let's take a capacity ex expansion example first because it's simpler. If you add capacity to an existing array, then all uh, fusion decisions about workload placement and rebalancing going forward will automatically take that into account. So okay. it's completely, completely seamless. Um, if you are adding additional arrays, then you have a choice to make as, as, uh, as your uh, storage administration team. You can either uh, expand the, uh, an existing AZ by registering that new array into that availability zone so it joins the pool there, or you can create a new availability zone to represent a new data center or whatever your topology requires. So, um, and, then, and then if you ask about limitless scaling, what does that mean? That essentially means that our ability to support um, arrays in availability zones is not uh, is not capped, right? So, uh, you know, as many arrays as you want to assign to an availability zone, we will support as that seamless storage pool concept. Okay, thanks for the clarity on that. Because you know, sometimes we use buzzwords and you know, and marketing terms, and it's good to get a little bit of color behind that. And I, you know, again, we used to use a term in my server days of linear scale. And truly, when you're adding these things in, you're you're getting that linear scale aspect, right? You add more capacity, that's going to be the capacity. There's no fall off, right? I mean, that's yeah, more yeah. the hallmark of the product, but still. Well, and and I think there is something that you're hinting at also, which is that this is not. Uh, the same as a traditional scale-out storage cluster architecture, right? Mm -hmm. We're not limited in a lot of the ways that traditional scale-out clusters are. We don't have hardware compatibility requirements within AZ. We don't have, you know, scale limits in terms of the number of controllers that could be assigned to a scale-out cluster, right? Like we, we, uh, we have, I mean, I'd be getting pretty deep into the architecture to discuss why this works this way, but we have the ability to scale linearly as you describe it, because those controllers and those arrays that you deploy function separately. So it's actually a benefit of our existing array model that allows us to continue that, lin uh, that linear scaling independent of you know, a traditional uh, scale-out cluster model. Got it, okay, good clarity. So uh, I guess the other thing I wanted to get everybody up to speed on is as part of this announcement, we talked Portworx data services and maybe just pulling back to portworks and containers in general. And again, as the self-taught, you know, cloud native guy who then went, became a software engineer for a couple of years, how and where does portworks play in and around all this, right? I know we have enterprises and, and organizations and government entities who are either looking how to get started or they're already started and they're often charging in that space, right? Everything's getting containerized probably the same way that 10 or 15 year olds, years ago, everything was getting VM'd, um, which is not a verb, but I just made it up. But how and where does containers play across this? I mean, is it an option or is it, is it inclusive? You know, wh where does that go? I think, I think that there's, there's like, a, like a philosophical answer to that and a practical yeah. The philosophical answer for me is that they are so tightly aligned. Right. Okay. If you look at the way Kubernetes works, right, and I even mentioned this earlier, we borrowed, we straight cribbed some of their language because because Kubernetes is built for a cloud native world, 
right? It operates in terms of availability zones. It uh, expects rebalances and workload migrations to happen regularly, right? Like they treat, uh, Kubernetes being they, treat the, the server as, you know, a, 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 uh, as, a, as a placement target, not as a long-lived, you know, cared about entity, right? The container is the cared about entity. And if you look at the way uh, Fusion works, we care about the workload, right? We, you know, the arrays are just a tool to serve that end. Right? And so we've aligned both our uh, topology and structural objects in our object model with the way Kubernetes works, but also the, the approach in terms of provisioning workload balancing are very aligned. Now, in terms of the practical answer, um, Harbor Master or Fusion would be the, could provide storage to a Kubernetes environment through, okay. right? So you would expect that uh, Portworx would be the software layer that Kubernetes directly interacts with. And then similar to how you can back Portworx with Flash Array today, you would replace that with backing it uh, with a Fusion, uh, with a Fusion environment. Okay. All right. Got it. Um, good clarity. Well, I, you know, I know you're super busy, so I don't want to take up too much of your time. And I think we covered it at a really, really good level, but I also want to get to like where the rubber meets the road kind of stuff. You know, we made the announcement, what is next or, you know, we're, you know, and it's going to be a purity thing, right? But what is next in terms of engaging, of letting people kind of, you know, kick the tires on this, try it out. We're obviously very interested in, in input and feedback. And of course there is some future availability that's going on with this, but um, what are all the T's and C's around, around that? Right, right. So now that now that we've announced Fusion, um, we're going to go into uh, an early customer alpha, uh, and basically, uh, you know, if if you are interested, if if you think this lines up with uh, what you're trying to do in terms of your you know IT strategy, please you know give us a ring. Uh, myself, Larry, you know, whatever other appropriate peer contacts you have, we're interested in talking to folks who are trying to explore this. Um, that's going to be happening right around the end of uh, this year, um, and then we're going to be looking to go into a general availability release. Um, late Q1, early Q2 of next year. So we are going to get to a real production product fairly quickly here. Um, and at that point, um, you know, anyone anyone who's interested can can of course chat with us and and uh, and see how to get that going. Um, one thing I do want to call out is that our initial release is going to be um, an Ethernet-based product. So we are looking at iSCSI environments for that initial release. Don't worry, Fiber Channel folks, we know you're out there, we love you. Um, <laughs> you know uh, they're asking, you know they're like, hey, wait, what about us, right? You know that's coming. Uh, and uh, we do we do plan to, to roll out uh, a Fiber Channel support uh, within the next, uh, within uh, calendar year 22. So that is absolutely coming, but I don't want uh, folks to you know, feel bait and switched or anything. So that, that's the that's the plan there. Um, we have huge uh, amounts of feature roadmap and uh, and other things to build out. So if you need more detail, you know, feel free to contact your your peer reps or or us or you know however you can uh, for for further details about your specific uh, your specific use case. But we are so excited. Super excited! Congrats to you and and the team at large. I mean, this is a a really massive step forward. Um, not just from a technology standpoint, but, you know, for the company, right? I mean, this is really not that we haven't been doing things in and around cloud experience and containers and cloud native, but, you know, we're really moving forward towards more, you know, abstracting the the day-to-day -day monotony and things that have to happen at the hardware layer that frankly nobody likes to do right and so it's really great to do that but also to do that with that with that other piece of the chocolate right that you mentioned where we're really serving you know the developers and the app owners and then the ones that just go you know i need to store some data 
I don't want to have to sit and wait around for it or deal with, you know, deal with the time that that takes. So um, super, super cool. Anything else to plug? Any, any, any place for folks to go for more information? I know we got it up on the main, the main homepage right after the launch, but anything else that you've seen coming out that looks interesting to check out? So uh, there's going to be a series of blog posts coming out uh, under my name on the byline um, in the next, uh, in the next few weeks. Um, that is going to go out across normal pure blog channels. So uh, stay tuned for that. Um, you know, other than that, I, I'm uh, I'm not a huge social media star like some other folks. I I, I just live. In I know. Sorry. I know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I always ask. You know, it's always good at the end of these. But no, go to blog.purestorage.com and look for those blogs. I do know if you don't make the launch event, which we hope you did, um, that the team has also been doing a whole bunch of work on showcasing demos. Right. So a lot of you know people people like to hear about it, but more so people like to see it, and that's when it really kind of hammers home the power of. Uh, of what we're doing here. Hey man, this was great. Um, can, I, can I get you back on here in a couple of few months and maybe talk a little bit about what the responses are and what people are doing with this thing? I'd love to have you on as a cadence. It'd be really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to anytime. Awesome. Well, thanks for all you're doing in that space. And thank you out there for listening to this episode of the Pure Report. I hope you enjoyed hearing a little bit more about Pure Fusion. And I know I'm going to talk to the unplugged guys, to uh, Andrew and JD, and see if they want to go and do a deeper dive on that as well. So I don't know, maybe I'll push you in their direction too, Anthony, because uh, they, were, they were planning on talking about it further. But thanks everybody out there for listening. Tell a friend, tell a colleague, and keep those suggestions and that feedback coming in. And we'll keep bringing on the great guests like Anthony today. And with that, we'll wrap for Pure Storage and Anthony Ferrario. This is Rob Ludeman saying, don't look back. Something might be gaining on you.